Well, good morning again to you. Thank you for being here on this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for the singing. I love to worship together with God's people, to sing truth to our Heavenly Father. We're almost done with a uh, series that we've been in for uh, a few months now in the book of Daniel. Daniel, of course, is one of the um, most important characters in the Bible, wrote one of the most interesting books of the Bible. And here's a man who epitomizes what it means to be thoroughly in the world. He had uh, some of the highest political jobs in the world at his time for the greatest empires, not one, but two empires of the world at his time, one of the most important people. And as you know, it is the norm of people who are powerful to be corrupted. In fact, there are very few, maybe there are none, <laughs> that haven't been corrupted by power and money. Daniel is a rare, rare exception. Not only is he not corrupted by power, he exercises power with complete integrity and competency, and he's godly to boot, an incredible man, to whom God gave some of the most extraordinary prophecies in the whole Bible. And God probably gave them to this man because, um, because of who he was. You know, God trusts us with things because he knows who we are. Most of us, there's not much he can trust us with, perhaps. But as you know, and when you work with people, those you know over time have proven to be trustworthy. You give them more insight into things, and that's what God did with Daniel. And now we're going to be looking today at the 10th chapter of Daniel, and in that chapter, we're going to begin the last vision of Daniel. This one's going to last three weeks, chapters 10, 11, and 12. That's the end of the book. And it's quite an interesting one. And the person who probably is going to kick it off for us today is probably the person, certainly in our lifetime, who better than anyone else has publicly expressed the true nature of war. And that man is Winston Churchill. I don't know if you have, but I recently saw the movie. It's playing here in Sheridan called Darkest Hour about Winston Churchill. Let me uh, read for you some of his extraordinary statements. This one is to the House, um, the House of Parliament. I would say to the House, as I have said to those who joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory, there is no survival. Here's another one of his famous lines. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And this memorable line, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few, the people of England. But maybe there's this one that you maybe have not seen before. If you will not fight for the right, when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when victory will be sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment 
when you will have to fight with all the odds against you and only a precarious chance of survival. There may be even a worse case. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory because it is better to perish than to live as slaves. Wow. This man knew war. And he, against incredible odds, led his nation and the world in defeating one of the greatest enemies this world has ever seen, the evil of Nazism and Adolf Hitler. Now this morning, as we near the end of the book of Daniel, we are going to be ushered into a world of war. However, the war that we're going to speak about today in Daniel chapter 10 is much bigger and more vicious than you might think. Because the war we're going to be ushered into today is not just war that takes place on planet Earth, but there's another war raging. It's a war raging in the heavenlies. And Daniel is one of the few people in all the Bible who opens the door to the war that's going on that we don't normally see. So today, I welcome you to the war that is on the horizon as we look at the topic of spiritual warfare. Chapter 10 of Daniel. Now, as I said, this is the final vision of Daniel. It's going to be in three parts, but it's all one vision given to Daniel. We're going to see the curtain pulled back by God on the heavenly realms that people do not normally see. Now, if you're a, a human being with a brain, and I think we all qualify here today, you've got to be and I, don't, I mean, no, no religion at all. You could give a rip about God. You don't think there is a God. You've got to be smart enough to realize this world's crazy. I mean, what, Ab, what, what Adolf Hitler did is absolutely crazy. I was going through one time with a man named Al, Alan Rabinowitz. I was in, in Jerusalem, and I went through the Holocaust Memorial, which just rips your heart out. I went through it, and he's a Jewish man, of course, in Israel. As we came out, Alan said to me, he said, you know, I've been through this hundreds of times, but it just doesn't add up. Alan is a Jewish person, a person who's, who believes in the Jewish faith, but as he looked at what has happened to his own people, he says, it doesn't add up. And I wanted to say, and I think I might have said to Alan, Alan, of course it doesn't add up, because it doesn't add up. There's no way, though historians have tried to figure out why did the world encounter World War II? What happened? I went online this week and I checked out the 10 costliest wars in human history. And then I added up the numbers. You know what the number is? Over 400 million people killed in the 10 deadliest wars in human history. Most of those wars are absolutely out of there. They're crazy. They're crazy. Adolf Hitler was crazy. What happened in Germany was crazy. It doesn't add up. It, there's no way you can add up. That someone would try to exterminate six million people. It doesn't add up. Because it doesn't add up. Why? Because there's more to the story. There's more to the story. There's something else going on that we don't normally see that is behind the evils we do see on this world. And Daniel's probably one of the only people in the history of the world who has been given by God a glimpse into that world. 
and it scares him to death and us as well. So I introduce you today to a world of war, but it's much worse than you think. Here's where it begins. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. It's pretty easy. My job's easy. You just have to take what the Bible says. The understanding of the, of the message came to him in a vision. We know the third year of Cyrus, about 536 B.C., in the year 536 B.C., when Cyrus, the greatest king of Persia, was on the throne, Daniel received a revelation from God. It was a revelation about war. Now, that's not a fun thing to have a, a revelation for. And by the way, Daniel is in his mid-80s. He's about an 85-year-old at this point in time. Now, um, what, if, what if you, just think for a minute, if, 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 if you were like Daniel, let's say you were Daniel. And you are a really godly person. And you're way up in years, and one night you have a dream. And this dream is, is, is strikingly real. And you have a deep sense this dream comes from God. And it's about a great war. Now, what would you do? Well, this war that Daniel sees in his vision is a war that's going to take place in the future. And you may, first of all, if you see that, you might just, hey, I thank my lucky stars that I'm 85. I get to miss this baby. And in fact, you may be in your 80s right now, and you see some of the things going on in the world, and you might think, hey, it's okay with me. I'm out of here soon. I mean, that's real. Or you might say, Okay, we live in Wyoming. Arm yourself. Begin survival training. That's what the Wyoming people will do. Or if you had a vision from God about a future and it's a great war, you might um, just become despairing. Say, hey, I give up. I'm just going to do whatever I please. Just get a few uh, times of happiness and that's all I care about. Or maybe you say, no, I'm going to do my best to make the war never happen. Good luck. You will not succeed. Or maybe you would say, hey, kids, don't ever have any children. Don't bring grandchildren. I don't want grandchildren brought into this evil world. You might do that. Lots of people are doing that today. What would you do? What would you do if you had a vision from God about a great war? Well, let's see what Daniel did. At that time, I, Daniel, <coughs> mourned for three weeks. That's what he did. Now, and by the way, that's a very, very good thing to do. Crying is one of the best things you can do in this world. In fact, if, I think one of the biggest problems with us as human beings, especially Americans, is we don't cry enough. Jesus cried. When he, was at the, when he saw people mourning at the death of his dear friend Lazarus, Jesus bawled. When Jesus looked over Jerusalem, knowing that within a week he's going to be dead on a cross, he cried. When Jeremiah looked over his city of Jerusalem being destroyed by the, by the Babylonians, he mourned. 
You see, one of the best reactions you can have when you see evil in our world, and there's plenty of it, is you just cry. That's what Daniel did. And I don't mean he just had a little bawling session. He mourned for three weeks. He ate no choice food, no meat, no wine, touched his lips. He used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. He is distraught. How often, as you live your life and you turn on the news at night, and you see the things happening now in our country and in our world, how often do you just start crying? I have to admit, never. I get mad. I yell at the TV. But I don't cry. Here's the, one of the godliest people on the whole earth. He starts to mourn because he knows this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way God created us. This is not the way human beings are supposed to live, made in the image of God for whom God himself would die. No, this is not the right way. So he mourned. And he became white as a ghost. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Whoa. Now Daniel starts to see this, this being of some kind. Now he tells us, first of all, when he had this vision. It was on the 24th day of the first month. The first month of the Jewish people is the month of Nisan. That's the time when the Passover and unleavened bread feasts took place. So somehow, sometime during the March... April time frame, he had this vision. And then this vision, he tells us where he was. He was not by the Euphrates River. That's where Babylon is. But now he's by the Tigris River, closer to the country of Iran today, Persia back then. And then he tells us that he saw somebody, somebody who who's, uh, was dressed in linen, which was a, a symbol of purity and, and had eyes like lightning. That's a symbol of, of, of penetrating insight and had a voice that was strong and authoritative. And uh, this looks like some kind of a heavenly being. Who is it? Commentators have spent all kinds of ink trying to figure out who this is. We don't know for sure, but the main suggestion is that this is Gabriel, the great, great angel of God, who has already appeared in the book of Daniel. This is Gabriel, who in the vision is sent by God to Daniel. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. So this took place during the day. He's not asleep at night. The men with me, because Daniel, remember, he's a very, 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 very high government official. He's got an entourage with him, maybe Secret Service, who knows? The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. Remember who that happened to as well? 
the Apostle Paul. When he was on the road to Damascus, he saw the light and heard a voice. The people with him did not see it, but they were scared to death. They knew something was going on. These people knew the same. So they ran and hid. There goes his secret service detail. I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep. My face to the ground. Whoa. His soul is shaken. Daniel is now going to be given uh, an incredible vision, but it's already started. Charles Swindoll, the, the pastor down in Texas, now said this. If we could see the invisible, we would be amazed at the presence of good and evil forces around us. We would be amazed. I think we're very fortunate that we don't see them. It'd be nice to just see the good and not the bad. But they're both real. Daniel, probably because of who he is and the relationship he had with God, Daniel is given a picture of what's really out there that we don't see. But I'd submit to you that if you don't believe in what's out there, you cannot make sense of what's down here. It doesn't make sense. So now he gets a picture. And the first picture of, uh, is of this majestic being who has a lot of the characteristics of God himself, probably Gabriel, the angel. But now Daniel's going to be given a vision that includes angels like Gabriel, but also demons. Here is the scary part. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. There we go again. <laughs> Remember, you said that a few times already. Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. What, what a statement. You who are, um, uh, literally it means, someone highly desired, precious, and coveted by God. The word means a man who is coveted. That's what highly esteemed means literally. Can you imagine? God says, you are coveted by God. You who are coveted by God. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Of course, he's, he's, he's scared, which we should be too. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, remember, back to chapter 9, Daniel's prayer, your words were heard by God. And I have come in answer to your prayers. But, here's the big but, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Who in the world is that? We don't know. But probably every Bible commentator, with hardly any exceptions, 
regards the prince of the Persian kingdom as some demon of great power whose major work is to do his dirty work to the leaders of the Persian kingdom. And we're going to see a prince of the Greek kingdom as well come up in this passage. It seems from this text of Scripture that there are demons that exercise their power in an evil way over leaders of political entities, probably the U.S. government. And it's probably true. The good part is, Michael, for example, the archangel, we know from the scriptures, is given by God the responsibility to fight for the good and the sake of God's people, the Jewish people. But here, probably Gabriel, the, the, the archangel, or the angel Gabriel, is saying, Daniel, God sent me to, answer, to be the answer to your prayers, but I couldn't get to you for 21 days because I was fighting against the demon that controlled the Persian, that, 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 that not controlled, that influenced the Persian empire for evil. Whoa. Then Michael, that's the archangel, one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So now here you have pitted two angels, a good angel, probably Gabriel, and an evil angel. We don't know who, but he's called the prince of Persia. And they battled to an impasse until Michael, the great angel, came. And now the prince of Persia was defeated. And Gabriel was able to bring the message to Daniel. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. That's kind of scary. <laughs> it now introduces us to a realm that most of us don't know much about, and frankly, we don't want to know too much about. That's the realm of spiritual warfare. Though seldom acknowledged or seen, there are spiritual forces, both good and bad, that wage war, they wage vicious war in the heavenly realms that we do not see, but what their warfare affects life on planet Earth. Remember the book of Job? Probably the oldest book in the Bible. Here's this deeply, deeply righteous man who was a rich man and has got everything going his way. And then all of a sudden, everything falls apart. And he loses most everything. And finally, he loses his own health. And of course, the people who think they know it all came, come and say, Job, this is how life works. We're Hindus after all. Karma. Here's how life works. And by the way, every religion believes this with the exception of Christianity. You do good, good things happen to you. You do bad, bad things happen to you. So if you are good and good things have been happening to you and all of a sudden things fall apart, do the math. What happened? You did something wrong. Fess up. Job said, no. No, I never changed. Something else is going on. Curse God and die. His wife says, no, 
How can we accept good from the hand of God? And then when evil comes, we curse him. No. Thankfully, God opened up the door and let this incredibly godly man named Job see what was going on. What he didn't know and what his counselors didn't know is that there was a spiritual battle going on. He didn't know that. God opened his eyes so Job did come to understand it. You see, many of the things that happen to us in this world, you cannot understand. I remember when my, in 1992, my little three-year-old daughter came down with cancer. I, I couldn't believe when I first saw her. She had been away for a few days, and she came home, and her body was a mess. Her head was huge. She was black and blue all over her body. She was within hours of death with leukemia raging, cancer through her body. Within a few hours, she was on chemotherapy trying to save her life. I remember holding my little girl for, for many, many times as they pierced through her hip and pulled out the bone marrow to find out what was going on there and put spinal taps into her back. She would sit on a table with the doctor behind her and I would be in front of her and she'd be grabbing onto me and she'd be screaming. She was only three years old. Daddy, why? Why? I could have said, your leukocytes, Priscilla, are, are, are multiplying at an at a incredibly crazy rate by mitosis. And I could have gone on to a scientific explanation. And Dr. Odom could have given an incredibly uh, detailed explanation of cancer because Dr. Odom was the chief of staff at Children's Hospital. She knew a lot about cancer. But you see, a three-year-old could never, ever, ever understand even what a leukocyte is. So I said, I can't explain why. Do you think that God could explain to us why suffering happens in this world? If I cannot explain to a three-year-old why she has cancer, do you think the living God could explain to us his incredible algorithm? And I said, Priscilla, I can't tell you. Just bawling my eyes out. And she said, Daddy, can I pull your hair? I said, please pull all you want. <laughs> she had no hair. We can't explain why. It's impossible. Any more than I could explain leukemia to a three-year-old child. But what Priscilla needed to know was not why this had happened to her. But she needed to say, Daddy, will you be there? As doctors poked me. I said, oh yeah, I'll be there. But I can't explain why. God can't explain to us either. But there are things going on, and I remember thinking to myself, oh God, what are you doing? I mean, if you want to take me, take me. I've done so many things wrong. I deserve, I, don't, I only deserve death. But my girl's three. She didn't, she didn't deserve this. But you see, there's more going on. There's a war going on that we don't see. We don't know why. But we have to trust the one who does. Remember in Adam and Eve in the garden, our Bible opens with a war going on. A war for the souls of human beings, and we lost that one. We still have the effects today. Job was, uh, of course, a, a man who had countered the powers of the spiritual forces of evil, and thankfully, in the end, he knew his Redeemer lived. Jesus himself faced Satan's own temptations and, and, and was valiantly victorious. And we too, the Bible says, have to arm ourselves with spiritual armor because we're in a battle too. Spiritual warfare is real. 
And in fact, in fact, it's really the only way to try to explain some of the stuff we experience here on planet Earth. There's no human explanation for it. And you see, what brought it on was Daniel was simply praying. That's what he was doing. He was just praying. And then God, you see, prayer in this case is what triggered the cosmic war. God heard Daniel's prayer immediately, and he sent an answer for Daniel's prayer. But Daniel's prayer was not answered right away because of spiritual battles going on that Daniel knew nothing about. But ultimately, God won. While he, that is maybe Gabriel, was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I'm helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Wow. This is what happens when you are involved in a spiritual battle. It, it, it's, it's, this is it. This is a real human being, Daniel, riding with the depths of the honesty of God, telling us what happened when he encountered a spiritual battle. It left him speechless and breathless. Have you ever caught a glimpse or sense the presence of spiritual warfare in the heavenlies? I have. Only a few times in my life, thankfully, I would wish for less. But I have. And it leaves you horrified. Because it's bad. That's what it did to Daniel. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O oh man highly esteemed. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and to protect him. There it is. There is the vision, the first part, part one of three parts of this vision given to Daniel, and it's about war. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, so what? <laughs> what does this do to edify us today? I hope I didn't scare you to death. I probably did. Well, that's what happened to Daniel. So what? What does this mean as we leave today? First of all, spiritual warfare is real. And it's mega scary. It's really, really scary stuff. But it's real. You should never overestimate or underestimate the reality of spiritual warfare. And I think the tendency is to do both. 
Some of you probably will greatly under, underestimate the reality of spiritual warfare. And I know there are some here, you're going to greatly overestimate it. The Bible does not talk a lot about spiritual warfare. In fact, very little. Don't overestimate it. It's real. But don't overestimate. Don't underestimate it. Because, but it, it's very, very scary. Saint, Satan is a master counterfeiter. Like a lion, he wants to destroy, and like a snake, he's a schemer. It's real and scary. Secondly, evil spirits seem to target political entities. Why are people in power and governments so rotten much of the time? Why do, do, do presidents and, and Congress have such low approval ratings? Maybe because... The influences to whom they are listening are evil. Sp evil spirits target political entities. The prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. Now, if I went to the White House now or to Congress right now and I stood up and said, do you people know that you're incredibly susceptible to evil, to demons? They go, get the crackpot out of here. But it's true. And it's not just our government. It's all governments. There are evil forces that seem to target political entities. So by the way, people, don't put all your eggs in the basket of a government. We put our eggs in the basket of the kingdom of God. That's where our eggs are put. Next, we should never dabble in the world of evil spirits. The Bible is so clear about this. You never dabble in horoscopes or Ouija boards or mediums or spiritists or all these things that people are in love with today in our culture. Do not dabble in, any, in the world of evil spirits. Why? Because it's real and it's evil. And we should not have anything to do with it. Be careful. The Bible duly warns us. Interestingly, prayer seems to both incite spiritual warfare and combat it. Interestingly, you who are the prayer warriors of this church, I want to say thank you to you and watch out. I thank you because you are the ones who are heavily involved in combating Satan's schemes. But I also want to tell you that prayer incites spiritual warfare. That's what it did with Daniel. But it also was the solution. So it's both. So you prayer warriors are, uh, thank God for you. May you be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. We live spiritually between D-Day and V-Day. D-Day when they, the troops landed on the shores of Normandy and the, the beginning of the end began and V-Day when they declared victory in Europe and victory in Japan. The victory is won. You see, D-Day took place on Calvary 2,000 years ago. We, 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 the, Jesus launched on the beaches of Normandy. He went to the heart of Berlin, and he succeeded. He won. But the, fight, the war is still going on. The war in the Pacific still went on after Europe fell. Victory has been won, but the battle is still real. God has equipped us with everything we need to fight spiritual battles effectively. That's what Ephesians 6 is all about. How do we arm ourselves 
to fight effectively spiritual battles. And maybe one of the most interesting statements of all, the irony of the gospel is that the battle is won, not through killing, but rather by dying. The battle is won, first of all, by Jesus, not by killing anyone, but by dying on the cross for our sins. And the battle for us is won not by pursuing evil, but by dying to ourselves and following Jesus Christ. In this battle, we don't win offensively. We win by dying. That's pretty ironic. Well, in conclusion, I want to introduce you to this handsome couple here. Um, uh, if you were with us with the men's breakfast uh, last, this, earlier this month, you remembered the picture of this group. This two, these were two people who served with me in Africa as, a missionary, as missionaries in the 1970s. And 30 years later, I went back to Africa to where I had taught in the 70s, and they were still there. I had long since passed by, but they were still there. And I asked them, well, what are you doing? They said, well, I'm, we're ministering to the Amazioni. I said, what? You probably don't know this, but the Amazioni, uh, that is the dominant religion in southern Africa. 15 to 18 million people, that's the number one religion in southern Africa, is called Zionism. It has nothing to do with Israel. It's, it's, it's a religion that has combined Christianity and witchcraft. It's called Zionism. I remember seeing them when I was there back in the 1970s. On Saturday nights, you'd see these people walking on the dirt roads with white or blue choir robes and with these sticks. They'd walk along and they'd beat drums all night long, calling on demons. And, and I never had anything to do with them because I was scared to death of them. Well, when I went back 30 years later, Bruce said, I'm working with the, the Zionists. I said, Bruce, that's witchcraft. He said, yeah, I know. He said, you want to go with me to a service? <laughs> I said, no, no. He said, oh, sure, come on, come with me. So I went. We're driving there. And he said, oh, by the way, Tom, you've got to preach today. I said, no, <laughs> what? Which is no surprise, because that often happens there. And so we got to this building. And Bruce goes to the trunk of his car and gets out a choir robe and a stick. And we walk in. He's got his stick and his choir robe, and I'm behind him. And we walk inside. There's a fire inside this building, and they're going around it into a trance. Oh, my goodness, what is this? And then, after the trance, then, then I spoke, and the people were just on these little, ben these little wooden benches, and, 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 after I, and everything was being translated into Zulu. And then, after I finished, the, 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 preach, the pastor, who was the witch doctor, he stood up and said, well, t tell us what you learned from this sermon today. And they're really good, what they had learned. And then he said, it's time for prayer. Now, by the way, for prayer, people come up with their physical needs, and he would stand on one side of them with his hands on their shoulders. He was um, praying to the demons. And Bruce would get up on the other side of him, and he was praying to Jesus. And it was quite a scene. And here's one praying to demons, and the other one praying to, to, uh, to Jesus. And then they went, after that for a while, after the prayer time, they were going around the fire, going into trances again. And after three hours, we left. Bruce, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? I said, this is witchcraft. He said, I know. I said, aren't you afraid? <laughs> I was. He said, oh, no. Don't you believe greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world? Do you know there are 18 million of these people in southern Africa? 
He said, this is what I'm doing. I've got a Bible school, and I have 200 witch doctors in my Bible school. And I'm teaching them the Bible and praying, and God is bringing them to Jesus, and they're setting aside their witchcraft. And I go, you got to be kidding me. Here is one of the finest missionaries I know who was not afraid, willing to fight the spiritual battle because he wasn't willing to let 18 million souls go to hell. Oh, that we could be like that. Thank you, Father, for the great heroes of faith who without fear stand for you, but who face such fearful things. They know your power and your strength, and they've experienced it. May we as well. I don't pray to be like Daniel. I'd be afraid to be like him. He saw too much. But you know where each of us are, Heavenly Father. And I pray that with confidence, hope, and power in the Holy Spirit, we may lead lives of godliness and impact for Jesus in this world, in this town, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand. <laughs> may you leave now this day with these words reverberating in your heart. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. God bless you.